Hey, all you nature nerds, this is You're Gonna Die Out There. Welcome back, nature nerds, to another episode of You're Gonna Die Out There with me, Megan, and uh, Jen. I'm sitting across from Jen looking at her. She looks lovely today. (laughs) Just rolled out of bed, looking amazing. (laughs) You'll be telling our story today. That's right. I'm very stoked on that. I will be sharing a little science news if you're ready. This is kind of our memorial weekend slash beginning of June episode. Yeah. It's like we're rolling into summer here. This science news came from... One of our favorite listeners, Angelina. Hello, Angelina. Uh, She sent it to us the other day, and it is actually from May 20th, 2022, which is, uh, we're recording this on the 22nd, so it was a couple days ago. FYI, we're recording some stuff early. Just because Jen's going on vacation. I mean, you're going to think maybe this is going to be old news by the time you hear it, but it's new news to us. That's right. Here you go. It is entitled, Bottlenose Dolphins Can Identify Friends by Tasting Their Urine. You know, we always like think about what it would be like if we did that yeah 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 i don't want to taste anyone's urine no i'm not into that that's cool Uh, only mine if i'm in like uh an emergency situation where i have to drink it yeah but this is you know dolphins yeah they just do some crazy stuff. i love that people send us things about how dolphins are crazy (laughs) because they know they know i just cannot with dolphins but I love them still. Just you do. putting that Even out there. Even though they apparently taste each other's urine. So starts out, bottlenose dolphins can recognize familiar individuals just by tasting their urine, similar to how the smell of a friend's perfume can be part of our mental representation of them. Uh, Jason Brooke at Stephen F. Austin State University in Texas and his colleagues found that bottlenose dolphins spent about three times longer sampling water that contained urine collected from familiar dolphins compared with unfamiliar ones. Sorry, I'm just imagining them like just like a little bit longer, like there's something extra in this water. Like you're not from here. What's going on? They said the sampling involved, quote, opening their mouths and running their tongues through the water where we poured the urine in front of them says Brooke. Who comes up with these things? All right. Remember when we did the dolphin episode, we talked about how dolphins have these specific whistles. And Uh I think you even talked about on the orca episode that they have these signature whistles that they get early in life that other dolphins can recognize them from. Yeah. So this is just another way that they can recognize each other. They say that when dolphins greet each other, they will kind of like put their faces in each other's crotches or like areas to, you know, sniff around. Well, not sniff around, but I guess, taste around. I think they're doing more than just that because they're dolphins. (laughs) You know, all of this suggests that dolphins have concepts of individual friends in their minds, that they can connect that individual friend with a certain taste or sound. So that's similar to how people have mental representations of our friends. Like when I see chickens, I immediately think of Jen. Right. Thank you. Yeah. It keeps bringing up the whole thing of like the smell of somebody's perfume. But I Mm -hmm. don't know a lot of people who wear perfumes anymore yeah. the only thing i can think of is like our parents or like grandparents yeah my grandmother that smell like yes. smell memory for yes. sure uh, brooke says while that might sound easy to do for a human animals don't always do that being able to identify other dolphins through urine is useful because it hangs around he says if the urine cue can persist then another dolphin would be able to detect that and determine if a past ally or enemy is in the area oh. mm. 
So like, are they part of the gang or not? Basically. Yeah. Like what kind of meth are you dealing? <laughs> are you from like North Florida or South Florida? Central Florida? <laughs> what are we talking here? Right. Yeah. They got to know. They got to know. know. We know they must taste each other's urine rather than smell it because they don't have functional smell systems, Brooke says. So, oh, okay. Yeah. At this stage, bottlenose dolphins are the only known species that can identify familiar individuals based on taste alone. Other types of dolphins may do the same thing, but they need to do more research in the future to determine that. So I guess they're going to be going out and Dumping getting more, more pee. Well, then the thing, too, is How like, do you collect? That's exactly what it's... How are they collecting the pee? Is it just like... Mm. They're like catheterizing these dolphins to get their like pee-pees out? Or? I don't like it. Yeah, they didn't talk about it in here. I'm sure, you know, you can... Uh, there is a journal reference. It's in Science Advances. You can read so the me- you can read, read the read methods. It. Yeah, read the methods. Find out how they collected the urine. Because you know what? Hashtag empty the tanks. Right. Get all those dolphins out of there. Get all the orcas, yes. all your everythings. Get mm-hmm. them out of there. I don't want to see any more. Dol- I don't want to see dolphin shows. I don't want to pet dolphin. I just get them out. Agreed. Agreed. Well, yeah, that that I do kind of now want to read the methods to see like what yeah. dolphins were they doing exactly. this research on? Yeah. Yep. If you don't know what we're talking about, go back to the orca episode. Yeah. And or go look at that hashtag empty the tanks. Oh, yeah. It's pretty good. Anyway, that's my science news. Thank, Thank you, you uh, Angelina, for sharing that. Yeah, we do get a lot of posts about dolphins, dolphins. which is great. <laughs> I love it. So, Megan, yes, like Jen. I said, we're starting off the summer. I'll be going on a little uh, family vacation. An adventure. It's an adventure. Yeah, we're, you know, of course, we live in Guam. Where it's always summer. Anyway, so we are going. One of the places we're going to stop is the Grand Canyon. Oh. Yeah. So I thought, let's do this. That's awesome. Let's talk about the Grand Canyon. Let's do it. That's what's happening today. It's very grand. It is effing grand. (laughs) I'm just going to tell you that right now. I've been. I went when I was 12. Mm -hmm. I think I have like a Polaroid of me sitting around at the Grand Canyon. I went back again in college with my dad because my dad lives in Arizona. I went back again in college. I could probably find that picture. Mm -hmm. And then I'm looking like my hair is some color. (laughs) I'm all grunged out. I love it. I think I have some combat boots on. Yeah. And I'm just standing there like, this is pretty cool. Get it. Um, (laughs) I went to the Grand Canyon when I was in high school. I think it was my sophomore year because we marched in the Fiesta Bowl parade. A big, like, I don't know how many buses of high school band geeks. Yeah. Just get out, walk over, look in. Wow, it's really grand to get back on the bus. Yeah. And I was like, I've been to the Grand Canyon. There you go. Did it. Done. Check the box. Well, let's first talk about the seven natural wonders of the world. Let's do that. Let's talk about all of them. If you look up the seven wonders of the world, Mm -hmm. those are things like the Taj Mahal and the Great Wall of China and things like that. So you have to look up the seven natural wonders of the world. Oh. Just so you know. Yeah. And this is what I got. This list is pretty consistent, but I pulled this from worldatlas.com because legit. Mm -hmm. There's the Great Barrier Reef, which is the largest coral reef system in the world. And it's located in Queensland, Australia. We all know that one, right? Oh, yeah. Got Northern Lights. Makes sense. Also called the Aurora Borealis. Natural phenomenon, which appears as a light show, beautiful dancing colors, usually greens and blues and purples. It's when electrically charged particles caused by sun flares or extreme sun activity reach the gaseous particles found in the Earth's atmosphere. I thought I'd explain that a little bit just because I think a lot of us are like, that's pretty. (laughs) And we don't know. Just like light lightning. I just always thought it was like a laser show that Santa Claus put on. It is, Megan. 
That's exactly what it is. <laughs> I'm sorry if I've led you astray. It's fine. <laughs> and also, just a lot of people think it's only in Alaska, but it's also in northern Canada, Iceland, Greenland, Norway, Sweden, and Finland. Nice. So just so you know, if you, you can go to those places and see it. Cold places, basically. <laughs> and then another one, these are in no particular order, okay. but the third one I'm going to talk about, Mount Everest, tallest peak on Earth, measures 8,848 meters tall above sea level. Mm -hmm. It's located along the China and Nepal border. The term in Nepal is Sagarmatha. Sagarmatha. That's great. Thank you. In Tibet, it's known as Chomolungma, and it translates to Mother Goddess of the World. That's the only reason I wanted to try to pronounce those, because I love that. Yeah, that's pretty. Mother Goddess I, of the World. I did not know that, so and that is very cool. Actually, the mountain in Hawaii, Big Island. Haleakala? Uh, or the other one? The I other can never one. remember. Mauna Kea? Mauna Kea, thank you. Right. That one is actually taller than this because most of it's underwater. It doesn't count as above. Right. So this one's like above sea level. Don't they say that about the high, I'm saying peak with quotations here in Guam, that because of the Marinus Trench, it's like really big. But yeah, the other one is the, I'm going to say this wrong too. So yeah. I apologize. Paracutzin volcano. It's a cinder cone volcano. It's found in Mexico. Anyway, that's another one. Victoria Falls. It's located along the border between Zambia and Zimbabwe. Mm. It's formed by the Zambezi River. It's considered the largest waterfall in the world. The harbor in Rio de Janeiro oh. in the southeast of Brazil. It's the largest natural bay based on volume. Oh. And then we come to Zigran Canyon. Nice. Like that. I like it. Just given, you know, this would be like a bucket list right here. Sure. Yeah. Like, let's see it all. Except for the waterfall. I don't know why. That kind of creeps me out a little bit. But Really? Waterfalls are... Look at a picture of it. It's beautiful yeah. when you have a chance. Yeah, yeah. So the Grand Canyon is located in Arizona, mm -hmm. in the United States of Merca. It was formed by billions of years of natural erosion by the Colorado River. So the Colorado River is just like... Ee, 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 er, er, just cutting its <laughs> way down. All the way down, 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 over a billions Billion. of years. It's a long time. That's a long time. It's known for its, you know, all these colors because of all the layers of rock and sediment mm -hmm. in the cliff walls. But it's mainly, it's just so dang big. That's why it's grand. It's grand right. as hell. Right. It measures 446 kilometers or 277 miles in length, 113, 990,000 square miles. At its widest point, it's 29 kilometers or 18 miles wide. And it's 1.8 kilometers or 1.1 miles deep. That's large. It's bigger than Rhode Island or like 10 yeah. Guams. It's actually an, a national park. The national park area is 1,900 square miles mm. of that. And it's across the counties of Mojave and Coconino. Coconino? Does that sound right? Coconino? Right. Coconino. What's, how's it spelled? C-O-C-O-N-I-N-O. Yeah, yeah, Coconino. I, I might be saying that wrong. I don't know if it's Cochonino or Coconino. Mm. I'm going to say Coconino. If mm. people hate it, I apologize because I'm going to say it a lot. It's also, I mean, they get millions of tourists, actually around six to seven million tourists a year. Wow. Due to how insanely big it is mm -hmm. and there's differences in elevation, they split the Grand Canyon National Park into two parts. So there's the North Rim and the South Rim. 
an elevation of 2,529 meters. The north rim of the national park is like obviously on the northern side. And you can only get it along in Arizona Route 67 along that highway. Some big famous areas you want to see there is the Bright Angel Point, Roosevelt Point, Cape Royal, and Point Imperial. And those are like, I think, different hiking destinations or different points along there. Mm. The northern rim a lot of time closes from December through May because of snow. The south rim is the area that most people visit in the Grand Canyon. There's a lot of viewpoints. Really nice. There's Hermit Road, Desert View Drive, and the Grand Canyon Village. Those are some of the sections of the South Rim. In the summer months, you think it's just going to be like a desert and it's really hot, but actually there's thunderstorms, lightning, flash floods, strong winds. And in the winter, of course, you're going to see some, especially on the North Rim, some snowfall. So let's talk about the wildlife. So there are several ecosystems that support different plants and animals. There's 1,700 known vascular plant species, wow. 195 species of lichen, 167 species of fungi, and 64 species of moss. Interesting, right? Yeah. I feel like there's not enough people that study that kind of stuff. Yeah. Obviously, somebody really cared and went out and counted all those. There's also dozens of endemic plants that are known within the boundaries of the park. 63 endemic plants have been granted special status by U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, whether listed on some sort of level. 129 vegetation communities, including riparian, desert scrub, pinyon juniper woodland, ponderosa pine forest, and subalpine grassland communities are also found. So there's a lot of different elevations, so you're going to see a lot of different things. There's 1,443 species of invertebrates. Hmm. I know, that's a lot. That they know. That they know of. Some of the notable invertebrate species include the Arizona bark scorpion, the black widow spider, the two-tailed swallowtail butterfly, which sounds better than the the previous two, the darkling beetle, the tarantula, and the tarantula hawk. They have the canyon tree frog, the northern leopard frog, tiger salamander, Woodhouse's toad, red spotted toad, and those are all found in the national park. 48 species of reptiles. Very cool. Gotta love it. Including the greater mountain shorthorned lizard, eastern collar lizard, chukwala lizard. There's the Grand Canyon rattlesnake, a gopher snake, desert night snakes. And also it's been designated as a globally important bird area and it supports 450 avian species. And some of those I'm going to talk about are super rare. Cool. So you can find the California condor, which is obviously one of those, peregrine falcon, Mexican spotted owl, Yuma clapper rail, western yellow-billed cuckoo, the southwestern willow flycatcher, and red-tailed hawk. There's around 91 species of mammals, mountain lions, coyotes, ring-tailed cats, elk, and then mule deer. There's bighorn sheep and canyon bats. Ew. Fun. There's seven endangered species, California condor, humpback chub, razorback, sucker, that southwestern willow flycatcher, canab amber snail, and the ridgeways rail. And then some threatened ones that I talked about, too, was the Mexican spotted owl, yellow-billed cuckoo, and the desert tortoise. And then for the plants, there's one endangered species, which is the century milk vetch. I won't even try to say what the um, scientific name is because it's like three pages long. And we, as we all know, so endangered species are any species um, in danger of extinction 
throughout all or a significant portion of its range, threatened is likely to become endangered. Just kind of mm. like we always talk about threatened and endangered. And I think right. some people would question that. Maybe they want a little clarification. Yeah. A little brief history in the area. So archaeologists went out, did their excavations, and they found human artifacts that were approximately 12,000 years old. Ooh. Yeah. They date to the Paleo-Indian period. And the artifacts were like little animal figurines, petroglyphs, like writings on the walls. Yeah. Anyway, you can still see those petroglyphs on the walls mm -hmm. of the caves mm -hmm. and the canyons. And so the area became known for in the U.S. after the railroads and other, you know, those people were going through mm -hmm. Manifest Destiny. Uh, absolutely. In 1893, the Grand Canyon Forest Reserve was established by... President Benjamin Harrison, which I'm like, what president was that? Harrison. I used to know all the presidents in order of their uh I, Yeah, we terms, had to learn it in like sixth grade mm -hmm. or something, but I remember Harrison. that guy. Anyway, 1893. <laughs> and then November 28th, 1906, the Grand Canyon Game Preserve was created by, of course, Theodore Roosevelt. Yes. Of course. The Grand Canyon National Monument was established in January 11, 1908. Woodrow Wilson signed the Grand Canyon National Park Act, which established the Grand Canyon as a national park in 1990. So it's one of the oldest national parks. That's very cool. Yeah. In 1979, the Grand Canyon Park was designated as a UNESCO World Heritage Site. Cool. And then in 2019, that's when the National Park celebrated its 100th anniversary. So let's talk about the Native American tribes. Let's do it. Because I feel like... You have to. You have to because this was all theirs. We already talked about like the early human inhabitants at the Grand Canyon. Mm -hmm. So that was around 200 BC and the ancestral Puebloan people. They lived mostly within the four corners of the Western United States. They migrated towards the Grand Canyon area. And during that time period, there was also the Anasazi people who migrated from the east and began living in the canyon. So by 500 AD, the Anasazi were entering this time period known as the Puebloan people, and they built these adobe houses along the canyon's rim. Mm. The Anasazi lived near the canyon until approximately like 1500 AD. It says that they suddenly abandoned their settlements and left the Grand Canyon. And they're not, no one knows why they left. I guess they think either it was like a drought came through or there were other like conflicts with other people. Mm. So whatever it is, they determined that the Anasazi abandoned their homes and left. But it says they left for approximately 100 years, never to return. Oh, yeah. According to Wikipedia, though, I was saw this thing. They said that the cultural group often referred to as the Anasazi, which was in all these other articles. That's not a term that the Puebloan people today really like. They said that Anasazi is Navajo for enemy ancestors or alien ancestors. Oh, so it's like kind of a... Like yeah. a not nice thing that the Navajo said about... Possibly. Wow. Yeah, weird, huh? That's good to know. I always wonder about things like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The Native Americans from 1250s, so it's like 100 years after those people left, mm -hmm. to 1900. The Puebloan people moved away. There were new groups of Native Americans that moved into the canyon and started staying there through that whole time period. Right now, I couldn't find specifically, but there's like 11 recognized tribes that are associated with the Grand Canyon. There's the Havasupai tribe, mm. the Hopi tribe, the Hual Hualapai tribe, mm. the Kaibab 
Band of Paiute Indians, mm -hmm. Las Vegas Band of Paiute Indians, the Moapa Band of Paiute Indians, Navajo Nation, Paiute Indian Tribe of Utah, San Juan Southern Paiute Tribe, the Pueblo of Zuni. These are New Mexico, the Yavapai Apache Nation in Arizona. According to North American mythology, the hope in the Hopi language, Sepapu, it means small hole or indention, and it was the place where their ancestors first came to this world. What they believed is they were changed from their lizard-like forms to become human beings. The Sepapu Bridge, one of the largest natural formations in the world, it extends from the White Canyon and the Kachina Bridge over Deer Canyon. So when you're there, or mm -hmm. you can look at a map and see that, they're both natural formations of the Grand Canyon, and it's considered a holy place to many of the tribes in the area. Mm. So, Is it extra protected then? Right. I think so. I don't think people will just go there. Right. Yeah. The two most prevalent tribes now, well, there's three, but the two that are actually present there mm. year round is the Havasupai and the Hualapai. They lived near the canyon and they migrated between the canyon's inner depths and the upper plateau throughout the year for a different. So in the summer months, the Havasupai and the Hualapai used a complex irrigation system to farm deep in the canyon. And so as the weather turned, they would migrate to the rim or outer plateau to hunt like game during the winter months. Cool. So the two tribes were there for hundreds of years until the mid 1800s. Colonizers. There you go, cat. When settlers <laughs> began moving west with hopes of gold and untold riches. There you go. Mineral deposits. All the things. And just so you know, the Hualapai means people of the tall pines. Oh. Because there is a pine forest. In 1866, the Hualapai chief, Wabu Yoman, was murdered and a tribe, like, waged a three-year war against the U.S. Eventually, of course, they lost because the U.S. was just... Had large. Large and had too many people. R resources, man. The tribe was relocated mm. to a reservation... A lot of them died because of lack of food and disease. Then the Hualapai people actually got together and organized an escape, and it was successful. Mm. So President Chester Arthur, which another one I'm like, who's this guy? Wow. These guys are like rolling over in their graves like, wow, nobody remembers. <laughs> nobody remembers us. We're not Roosevelt. <laughs> I know, right? He actually relocated the tribe to another reservation south of the Grand Canyon after their escape which is where they actually still live today. Mm. I really don't like that word relocated because it's not very truthful, but I get it. No, they relocated them against their will because yeah. it's not like a good relocation. No. no, it was forced. It's not like when you're applying for a job and it's like, are you willing to relocate? And you're like, yeah. <laughs> are you guys going to pay for it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Lame. Sucks. Lame. Anyway, Lame. so the Havasai people were more fortunate during that time. They actually kind of weren't part of those crazy wars, but they did lose their land in 1880 when another president, Rutherford Hayes. Oh, I know that guy. I kind of remember that. President Rutherford Hayes. B. Hayes. Well, whatever. He doesn't, because he did this, he doesn't deserve that B anymore. He created a small reservation for the tribe, totaling 12 miles long and five miles wide. He is a B. Yep. Not even enough room for those people, for the tribe to even live. Yeah. But eventually it was expanded to its current size, which is 150,000 acres. Today, both the Havasupai and the Hualapai, they rely heavily on tourism to support their population. They're best known for their reservation that features like this beautiful waterfall. It's freaking beautiful. 
they're a popular tourist destination and they make some money off that to support them. There's, you know, they actually live there. And I don't know if you've ever seen how they have their mail brought in by mules. No. And you can reserve, you have to reserve like a year ahead of time, but you can reserve to go down there by mules and like see everything and they'll show you around and stuff like that. Like they're really okay with tourism and Mm -hmm. tourists and they like it. They just want people to respect them and they'll in turn be respectful to whatever, you know, but they're like, this is our place. Yeah. We decide what happens here. Yeah. Let's go back a little ways. So I wanted to kind of run down through that history, but let's talk about the Spanish explorers. There was an expedition in 1540 with Captain Garcia Lopez Cardenas. In September of 1540, under the orders of conquistador Francisco Vasquez de Coronado to search for this fabled, I guess, seven cities of Cibola, he was like, okay, go find some guides. So they got these Hopi guides. There was, there's also the Hopi that are still around, but I don't think they live there, live there. Right. But they have a Hopi house that was built like a long time ago and you can go there and they can get to or give tours and dances and stuff like that. Along with these Hopi guides and this small group of Spanish soldiers, they traveled along the south rim of the Grand Canyon and they were trying to, I guess, descend all the way through the bottom of the canyon. They didn't make it and they ran out of water. And in the report, they were like, there's some rocks. They're bigger than that of the Great Tower of Seville. Oh, they're like, it's real big. There's a bunch of rocks, but it was really hot and we ran out of water. So we didn't make it. And so now people speculate that the Hopi guides knew the route to the canyon floor. Of course they did. Yeah. But they were like, yeah, we don't know how to get there. It's crazy. No one goes there. No they- one. No <laughs> one will die. Yeah. So they never took them all the way to the river. And the Europeans were like, they just peaced out. The Europeans were gone for like 200 years. They just left. They're like, it's too hard. That's hard. We're out. And so 200 years, they were like, wow, that worked. That worked really well. That worked really well. Just pretend like we don't know what we're doing and (laughs) they'll go away. Then in 1776, there were two Spanish priests who, with a group of Spanish soldiers, explored southern Utah and traveled along the north rim of the canyon and Glen and Marble Canyons. And they were in search of a route to Santa Fe from Santa Fe to California. Mm. Okay. They eventually found a crossing and they named it the Crossing of the Fathers that today lies under this Lake Powell. In 1776, Fray Francisco Garces, he was a Franciscan missionary. He spent a week near the Havasupai and unsuccessfully attempted to convert them to Christianity, but he described the canyon as profound. (laughs) (laughs) He tried. He tried. They were like, yeah, that sounds great. The next Europeans to reach the canyon was James Ohio Patty and a group of American trappers in 1826. But there's not a lot of documentation of that. So not long after that, and I talked about this in the last episode, in 1848 was the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo. That's when they yeah. like, we're going to just get all this Yeah. from after the Mexican-American War. So around that time, there was this Mormon missionary mm-hmm. who was sent by Brigham Young himself. What? Yeah. To locate an easy river crossing in the canyon. They, I guess, built good relations with the Native Americans. Mm. and some of the white settlers around and discovered a site that would become Lee's Ferry or Pierce Ferry. And there are only two sites. Those are the only two sites suitable for a ferry operation. By 1857, the U.S. War Department expedition was there was one led by this Joseph Ives to investigate the potential for natural resources, find railroad routes to the West Coast. He didn't really like it. His 
notes on the area was that it was altogether valueless. Mm. And he said that his expedition would be the last party of whites to visit this profitless locality. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm sure the Native Americans are like, good, bye. And back to this, I don't know if I put it in here, but the that guy, the Mormon that went there, Jacob Hamblin, mm-hmm. I think it was him, that he had like 19 wives. But there was some sort of massacre that happened where like a bunch of Mormons killed a bunch of other people because... Not Native Americans, just other more just other, other like settlers. Or yes, something? there was. You have to look it up. There was a massacre, and then he got sentenced to death. And one of his nineteen wives took over the ferry. <laughs> that was so random. It's like a random. Like I kind of read this article. I was like, "Oh, that's weird." Just like the head sister wife was like, "Yeah, took over the totally." Yeah. It, do you ever watch that show, Sister Wives? Have you ever watched it? Oh yeah, a long time ago. So good. And there's a new there's like a new but documentary. That guy is just so he is such a tool. Such I'm a tool. Just, I'm just like, really, ladies? I feel that like that guy, like his hair is all like he's like, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. And I, I watched this it. other documentary about uh a Mormon family. They're kind of like fundamentalists. Mm-hmm. And um and just yeah, the husbands always seem so douchey. Douchey. Oh, one hundred percent. And I don't I'm like, what is the appeal? I don't get it. I don't know. I feel like it's just everybody that is part of that certain religion with those certain beliefs, you know? Yeah, that Like, they grew up with that, or they they want that. Mm -hmm. So they kind of look to be with somebody that is into it. Yeah. I mean, I think that's... Yeah. I'm kind of like, I don't think being a sister wife would be, you know, it'd be that bad. Get a lot more free time. A lot more free time. You get your own house? You have your own house. You have a lot of babysitters. A lot of babysitters. You only, what, like one night a week? You got to like hang? Sure. <laughs> and But I feel like, I don't know, you'd still, though, there'd be like a, a lot of kids around. That's a lot of kids. It's me. a lot of kids. And then you got to be and you also, like a super douchey guy. Well, yeah. And then also you have to babysit other kids. Which yeah, not cool. It's like, I'll babysit your kids. I wonder if they argue about that. Right. Yeah. Like, mm. I babysat four times last week. It's your turn. Right. And somebody's just going out and like having fun, going shopping. They're always the one that gets to do all the all the out outside you gotta, chores. You got to watch that one document. It's I cannot remember the name of it now, but it's so good. Basically, yeah, it's like a fundamentalist Mormon thing, and and uh, nothing against the Mormon faith. Whatever you want to believe is whatever you want to believe. Yeah, if you want to be a sister wife, be a sister wife. Do it. Like do you do your thing? But are there any douchey non douchey fundamentalist Mormon dudes? I have not seen at least on TV. Have not seen any. I don't think so. I might cut some of this. I don't know. Jonathan, you can leave it in. I might just cut a bunch of it out, but I'm just saying. So good. Mormons. Mormons. Interesting. So about 10 years after that Ives expedition where he's like, this place sucks. The the ratings of national parks that were like, it was a bunch of rocks. It was like, that was like his rating. Yeah. He's like, I hate it. I'm never coming back. Then later there was the Smithsonian Institute was like, hey, man. We think there's a lot of probably interesting things out there. We're just saying. Right. So they got together with this geologist named John Wesley Powell, and he led this expedition, this Powell expedition, to explore the region and, you know, document all the science. See some things. Yeah. See some stuff. But he would be like, wow, look at the variety of rocks in this pile. He's like, there's a bunch of freaking rock formations and shit out here. I'm going (laughs) to document the hell out of it. You know, he documented like plants and animals, archaeological stuff. And I also think that. Somewhere in here, there was also that Wheeler expedition that came through when Olive Oatman was with the Mojaves. Remember yes. those group that came through for like nine days? Yeah, and they were they never saw the girls. That same expedition also came through here around that time. 
In 1870s and 80s, there were miners. Always got to be got to be prospecting. If you don't know about mining, go back to our mining episode. Yep. They were staking some claims in the canyon. They're like, I want this for 50 cents or $1 or whatever it is. Yeah. I'm trying to remember. It was like $2 to $5, something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah. And they were hoping that these previously discovered like lead, copper, zinc would be profitable. But unfortunately, removing it from that area was quite arduous. They didn't do a good job of their pros and cons list. They're like balance sheet. I can just see like they're trying, but just people keep falling off cliffs. They're like, ah, <laughs> it's just like, it's never like mind. The, it's like the time that, you know, I tried to get rid of a bunch of bamboo the wrong way. Maybe the local tribes were like, well, this is how you do it. I'm sure so that the local tribes sat back and watched and just laughed. We're like, what a bunch of idiots. They were just like, we also hate you. We just like to see you like try all these stupid things and just fall off cliffs left and right. Hashtag Peace Corps. Right. Now we're to the point in the story, which is what you're all here for. So I don't have like a story. I have a lot of little stories. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because Megan, as of 2021, there was about 900 people that have died in the Grand Canyon. Like recorded. Recorded. Yes. Leading cause of death is airplane and helicopter crashes, if you can believe it. But I think it's because multiple people die at one time. Right. There's also falling from cliffs, environmental deaths, overheating, drowning. On average, about 12 people die per year. That's an average. And in 2021, there was 18. Whoa. Let's just talk about selfies. Selfies have become a thing. Mm -hmm. And people are too busy looking at their phones to watch where they're stepping. Yeah. So there's actually this interactive map of all the people who have died at the Grand Canyon. Like. You can look at it. Who made that map? Well, it's called Over the Edge. Go look it up. That's amazing. You can click on any point, any like pinpoint on the map, and it'll tell you like who it was and what happened, as well as like the date and all that stuff. That's amazing. Yeah. And it'll link it to different books on if, if there is a link. A lot of this information you can find in this book called Over the Edge, Death in the Grand Canyon. Michael P. Giglieri, I think I'm saying that right. Giglieri. Yeah. And Thomas M. Myers. It was revised in 2011. And these people have a long connection with that park in particular, but also a lot of parks. So Michael Giglieri has his PhD in ecology from UC Davis. And he actually researched chimps, chimpanzees in Uganda. Oh, for his PhD. He worked for a long time as a wilderness river and trekking guide in the Sierra Nevada and other areas and regions across the country since 1974. He's led rowing trips down the Grand Canyon, and he also authored another book called Off the Wall, Death in Yosemite. Wow. The other author, Thomas Myers, got his master's at University of Arizona, has worked for more than two decades at the Grand Canyon Clinic, responding to, treating, and trying to untangle all the too many canyon accidents. He also is the medical director of the Grand Canyon National Park. In their book, they kind of broke it down. And I'm going to go through this from an article that also helped break it down quite a bit. All right, let's talk about from the most, right? From the air, which is helicopter or plane crashes. There's been 379 documented deaths. And that is the biggest killer in the Grand Canyon. But because of some crazy mid-air collisions... (laughs) In 1956, 128 people were killed when two commercial airlines collided and everyone died, of course. At 11.30 a.m. on June 30th, 1956, the airline officials received a transmission 
Salt Lake United 718 were going in. Moments later, United Airlines Flight 718 collided with TWA Flight 2 over the Grand Canyon, sending both planes hurtling to the ground. ground. That's awful. Mm -hmm. That's one of my... Totally one of my nightmares. <laughs> I know. They basically, everything fell around the Chuar and Temple Buttes. Mm-hmm. And that's near where the Colorado, the main Colorado and the little Colorado rivers meet. Mm. And so, like I said, it killed all 28, 128 people aboard. Wow. But it actually sparked the creation of the Federal Aviation Administration. And there's a small ravine between the two Buttes became known as Crash Canyon. According to a Backpacker.com article, Mm. there is a spot where this ranger, her name is K.J. Glover, thinks she may have seen the passengers almost 50 years after the accident, Megan. Wait, what? Like some people stayed? Or she saw some ghosts? She saw some ghosts. Oh. She thinks. Okay, so she told fellow Grand Canyon ranger and Haunted Hikes author Andrea Lankford that as she camped between the Chuar and Temple, Temple Buttes one night, she heard voices outside her tent, and when she looked out, she saw more than a dozen people walking up the trail in city clothes, like button-up shirts and long dresses. They were talking to each other as if it was just normal. Five or six Native Americans followed, speaking in a language she didn't understand, and when she climbed out of her tent to look around, there there was no one there. But did they have suitcases? I don't know. Just saying. Maybe they didn't need them. They were just looking. Maybe they were looking for their suitcases. They're just, you know, is that area haunted? Guess we'll never know. Officials identified only 29 of the victims and the remains of all the others were buried like in one big mass grave. Wow. In four coffins because it was just like bits. Oh, no. And that's alongside a memorial that's in the canyon, Grand Canyon Pioneer Cemetery. There's been other, I guess, weird stuff that's happened at Crash Canyon. It's also located near the sacred Hopi site that I explained to you earlier oh, called the, the Sipapu, which yeah. is the gateway to the underworld. Maybe they were walking there. And where were those Native Americans walking to? They say, according to her, she's like, Native Americans are very superstitious about it and rangers are very superstitious as well. <laughs> she also says helicopter pilots won't look down when they fly over it. There are stories of people who have gotten sick and even been struck by lightning in the area. Just a little side Little side haunting there. Mm. And when she first started working there, she was a skeptic. She said she didn't think, you know, she didn't believe any of it. But now she says that she's tried to go to that area. And every time she gets scared away, she said, I've tried to go there, but I get close within a quarter of a mile and I just feel really, really bad and I have to turn around. She says, I don't need to go to that place. I don't think anyone should see it. And she works there and she didn't believe any of it. I know it's too scary, Megan. It's too scary. (sighs) Even more crazy is that there was another crash over the Grand Canyon in 1986 where an airplane crashed into a helicopter and both of them were sightseeing tours. So 25 people died in that one. So even if you combine those two, remember I said there were 379? Yeah. Those two total about what, 153? Yeah. Even if you take those out, it's still a lot, right? Yeah. Why is this happening? It's because there's a lot of flights going over the canyon. There's commercial tourism flights over the Grand Canyon at a rate of two flights per minute. Wow, that's a lot of flights. Over the last few decades, the National Park has mostly prohibited flights over parts of the canyon to preserve the environment, obviously. Mm -hmm. But it's huge. So there's a lot of places for companies still to fly around. There's also what? I was going to say IMAX. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
I wonder if they could draw some kind of conclusion correlation between um, when IMAX was created and mm-hmm. the number of accidents in helicopters at that time over the Grand Canyon. Well, also there's air turbulence over the canyon. So there's hot air mm-hmm. in the canyon mixes with the cooler air from the plateaus above, and mm-hmm. that creates a lot of wind and unexpected turbulence. You know, turbulence. The also, the other thing is inexperienced tour operators. So a lot of the accidents mm-hmm. are associated with tour companies. The National Park Service, which flies into the canyon for construction projects and rescue operations, hasn't had an accident in over 40 years oh. because those people know what they're doing. They're experienced. They're professionals. And let me tell you, to be able to fly for the federal government, you have to jump through many hoops of trainings and yeah. hours, flight hours. Anyway, they're just saying they, you know, these like tourist operations, we don't know what their requirements are, mm-hmm. you know, to be an operator. All right. For falls. Falling to your death is mm-hmm. about 198 people. About 180 people have died by falling in the Grand Canyon in the book. This is because the book was, remember, it's a little bit older. It's from 2011. Mm-hmm. So right now it's 198. In the book, they had documented 180. And they divided it into the following categories. Falls from the ledge, falls from within the canyon, suicide. Those three. You jump to your death or you, you know. Or trying to, or you fell within the canyon, maybe from hiking, or you fell off a ledge. Of the 60 that fell from a ledge, it was while taking selfies, horsing around, being drunk, urinating into the canyon, or standing up after having just sat on the edge of the canyon. Like, you know, when you stand up and you lose your balance, like Uh, dizziness? More and more as I age, yes. Right? An example of horsing around was, this is insanely sad. So there was a father playing a prank on his daughter. He was pretending to jump off the ledge of the canyon. No. And he was planning to land on this ledge, which was just like a couple feet down below the rim, but he missed it and fell. Like really fell. Yeah. Really bad. Another man was taking a photo of the Bright Angel Lodge and he had his back turned to the canyon and he was backing up to get a wider angle no. And he went too far. There have also been a lot of near deaths from people falling. I guess it was famous because she lived. Her name was Dee Dee Johnson, and she was a well-known Hollywood fashion designer. I really think I remember reading about this. She was doing a publicity shoot on the edge of the Grand Canyon for new fashion design. Mm-hmm. She fell into the canyon. So somehow, by pure luck, she landed on a slanted ledge that was just below And if she hadn't landed on that, I mean, she would have died for sure. So rescuers had to rappel to get her and they had to tie a rope around her and pull her out of the canyon. But she was wearing this halter top and it came off and she was just like topless when she came up. Oh, no. Oh, (laughs) man. I know. It's like add injury to insult, right? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, falls from within the canyon. There's 63 at the time of this book. And it's mostly hiking, canyoneering, mining. And so a lot of these were hikers that were just getting off the main trail. Don't Don't go off the main trail. Don't do it. We've told you over and over. Unless you are a search and rescue person going to check something out. Right. No reason to go off the main trail. Right. Or you're prospecting. Well, yeah. If you're a certified prospector. (laughs) Just kidding. (laughs) So an example is a dad who was hiking with his 13-year-old daughter. On the South Kaibab Trail, he turned around and she was just gone. She had fallen 177 feet. She fell. She passed away. In 2018, a Romanian woman, Iona 
Hokiota, I'm not sure if I'm saying that's right. She was the 16th person to hike the length of the Grand Canyon. And that's from Lee's Ferry to Lake Mead. It's about 800 miles. Wow. She was 24 years old. She had two college degrees, spoke four languages, and had just gotten married. And she was going to be the youngest person to accomplish this. Wow. She was only 80 miles from the end of 800. That's so close. And she took a wrong step on the trail. She slipped and she fell 300 feet off a no. ledge. You have to be so careful. You know, I was reading all this and I'm like, I'm kind of scared to go to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> Jen, don't go hiking. <laughs> I know, oh. right? And then sadly, and then this section, trigger warning, we're going to talk about suicide just for a second. So you can skip ahead a couple of minutes. There are people who do complete suicide in the Grand Canyon by jumping off a ledge, driving off a ledge, jumping off bridges or by gunshot mm. just to be far away. So maybe people wouldn't find them. There have been... I think this is a more recent number. They say now 91 suicides in the Grand Canyon with jumping off a ledge being the most common method. And there have been 13 times when someone drove off. An example was three of these occurred in one year in 1993, and it came on the heels of the film Thelma and Louise. I was about to say Thelma and Louise. Which was was, released in 91. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't seen it, the final scene, they drive their vehicle off the ledge because it's like either that or going to jail kind of thing. It's giving me goosebumps you just talking about it. Yeah, it was. I mean, I really like that movie. It's a great movie. It's, It's pretty good. They know of at least one of the women who died who had watched that movie over 50 times. Oh, wow. And she was wanted to recreate the event. Her name was Patricia Astolfo, I think, and she drove her Suburban off the ledge. Mm. However, it got high centered on a rock. Oh. And it prevented her from falling into the canyon. So she got out of her vehicle, walked to the ledge and jumped. Oh, no. This poor woman. This is very sad, but it's also kind of like, really? I think the universe was trying to tell her not to do this. Yeah. Still alive, injured. She crawled to another ledge and jumped, but she only landed 25 feet below. Megan, she was still determined. Poor woman. Jesus. She crawled to another ledge and fell. This time she fell 75 feet and she she died. I think at that point, but yeah. But I'm like, the universe listen, is like, stop. Let the universe always tell anyone that suicide is never the answer. Never Just, the answer. There's always, there's always, always something better. Yeah. Just remember that. Just call somebody. Call the suicide prevention hotline. Which is now national, including in Guam. Yes. That's why we now have to dial 671 because they're, they added that national suicide hotline. So just, you know, give it a second thought. Obviously, the universe didn't want her to go, but she 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 did. Yeah. Another crazy thing that happened is there was a guy who jumped out of a helicopter while on a tour. He just opened the door and jumped. Jeez. Yeah. That's all I'm going to talk about with that. Yeah. It's very sad. Let's talk about environmental, like meaning dehydration, starvation, that kind of stuff. That's about 124 people. Also could be cardiac arrest, people Mm. who were overexerted while hiking, freezing, drinking too much water, flash floods, lightning strikes. Oh, I know you never really think about flash floods, but it's a giant canyon that was carved out by water. Yeah, really, you should think about flash floods. You should think about it. Dehydration and cardiac arrest is about 100 people have died from that Mm. approximately. And it's usually, yeah, that the gets up to 120 degrees Fahrenheit in the, at the bottom. It's freaking hot. A lot of mistakes people made, and mm-hmm. we always talk about this, is they went alone. Don't go alone. 
A lot of solo hikers died because they got stranded and then they either dehydrated or starved to death or no one knew, you know, where they, they were. didn't know where they were in the canyon or that they'd even gone. Mm -hmm. Another was a lot of them got off the trails. Mm. So there are established trails all over the place. Yes. Some of them are paved. I mean, it's like, this is paved. You're, stay here. Stay here. And they got lost because they were like, oh, what's that? you know, I think people look at it and they're like, I can do this. But it's really a lot more complicated and mm -hmm. you can easily get lost. A lot of people that were getting lost, they had these, you know, really difficult choices. They're like, well, should I go further into the canyon or I could get water from the river and survive? Or should I attempt to climb out of the canyon with little to no water and basically but try to find a better trail? Right? right. So they have those two choices and sometimes it just doesn't work out. I'm going to tell you about a story. This is a quick story about this family. Eric and Karen Klein, and they have a 10-year-old at the time, a 10-year-old son named Isaac. So they went on a family trip to the Grand Canyon. They had their GPS. And the mm -hmm. GPS was like, go this way. It basically told them that the main road was going to be closed. Mm -hmm. So it directed them down a walking path. Oh. Which is weird. That's strange. It got confused. Just don't always follow your GPS. Their car is stuck in the mud. Mm -hmm. They're like, crap. They don't have a signal. Eric had actually broken his back recently. So he was not in any kind of condition to be able to hike. Right. Right. Like he could go on this trip in the car. That's probably why they were driving it just mm -hmm. to see it from the car. So Karen was like, I got to do this. I'm going to go hike out and find somebody to help us, you know, basically get back on the main road. So she was basically, I'm going to go find a main road, find cell service, BRB. And so the 10-year-old and the dad stayed. She ended up walking approximately 10 miles through three feet of snow when she noticed a main highway and it was closed. <laughs> no. She remembered that there was another park entrance about 14 miles away and she started walking in that direction. Eventually it was dark. It started snowing, but she forced herself to stay awake. Throughout the night, she ate twigs from an aspen tree and mm -hmm. drank melting snow, which we've talked about that before. You're not supposed to do that. She says, your priorities definitely align very quickly. That She spoke of this, her survival journey on Good Morning America. Mm -hmm. She said, I kept thinking, this isn't how my life is supposed to end. No, no, no. My son needs his mother. My husband needs his wife. I'm not letting my mother bury me. I can't let this happen. She was just like, I'm going to push myself. Determined. Mm-hmm. So she said through all that, it was her family that kept her going. My instinct was to, number one, save my family. She eventually found this cabin, abandoned cabin. It was actually a guard shack that was closed for the season. She broke a window. Love it. Yes. Broke inside. It. Yeah. Crawled in the cabin and fell asleep. She had been walking for about 36 hours nonstop. Jeez. So meanwhile, her husband said he knew something was wrong. <laughs> I knew something wasn't right when she didn't come back for after a couple of hours. Him and his son slept overnight in the car, and the next morning, he pushed himself. Dude walked about 15 miles north until he got a cell phone reception and called 911. Wow. He told the 911 operator, I'm in the middle of the forest. We haven't seen a human being in over 24 hours, not a car or skier, not a hunter, nothing. So the emergency responders came down on snowmobiles. They found the car, and then they later were able to track Karen because they're rescue respond yeah, yeah. yeah. they're like here's her foot there's where they she have, went they have skills they got some skills the county sheriff's office said in a statement that karen klein had walked approximately 26 miles since that thursday they got stuck in search of help for herself her husband and son whose vehicle becomes stuck in the forest service road so oh. it was a forest service road so i don't right. know if like at some point people 
Maybe the Forest Service could drive on it. Mm-hmm. But why the hell is your... But I feel like Forest Service roads, they usually are just the tire tracks. Well, why it... is your GPS still need to go on that road? Yeah, yeah. Not cool GPS. Lame. The Kane County Sheriff's Office transported Eric and Isaac to an ambulance, and they got treatment for cold exposure and frostbite. Mm. And Karen, once they got her, they were she had frostbite, but she didn't lose any of her toes or oh. anything. So mm. she was really lucky. She was in the hospital for a few days. And I love it because Jim Driscoll, who's the chief deputy for the Coconino County Sheriff's Office, mm-hmm. he told the press, this is a Christmas miracle. Oh, We were able to get the family back together for Christmas. It could have gone very bad very, very easily. Moving on to starvation, Megan. Mm. Let's talk about some starvation, but it's real quick. They have found people who never made it with that left notes. I said four days without food or water lost. That's all they found. Oh, no. They've found multiple skeletons in the canyon. Not good. There's also people freeze, obviously, like what just happened to, Mm -hmm. almost happened to Karen, and also drinking too much water. So there's a story of a 47-year-old woman who, after a six-mile hike in the Grand Canyon, she didn't eat very much, but she drank a ton of water, and it gave her this exercise-associated hyponatremia, so EAH, and it's a condition characterized by extremely low levels of blood sodium. She died less than a day after the onset of symptoms. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing where you basically dilute all the things you need. Yeah. The nutrient in your bloodstream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the sodium and stuff like that, which is why it's important to drink something with electrolytes if you are super dehydrated. Or eat something. Or eat something, yeah. yeah. I guess it's something they usually see in marathon runners or endurance athletes, but this incident proved that even hikers could be at risk. And it's a really scary story because... No one's going to stop telling you that you need to stay hydrated. Like they're like, drink a lot of water. Right. Make sure you have your water, especially when you're out in the desert and the sun and it's hot. Mm -hmm. But just throw some granola bars in your bag. I'm thinking the other kind. Salty snacks. Right. I'm thinking the other kind of people who also have this disorder or condition are people who are trying to pass drug tests. I mean, now that marijuana is becoming legal. Right. Yeah. Deaths from drinking too much water has spiked since the 1990s. Mm. You know, people like drink before you get thirsty. They just don't eat and Mm. get that balance of sodium in their bloodstream. Right. So, yeah, something to think about. Flash floods and lightning strikes. Even though it's the desert, a flood can happen in a flash just (laughs) like that. They can occur in the desert southwest because there's very little vegetation to soak up all this water. Mm -hmm. So with the ground being so dry, when they get a heavy enough rainfall, it'll just, you know, oversaturate oversaturate and flood very quickly. And they can happen a lot in many of the side canyons. And it looks like a very simple stream that you could be next to or go across can turn into a big flood. And this happened on September 11, 1997. There were two people that drowned in a flash flood. And an hour later, lightning struck two visitors from Germany on the South Rim. Um, But they were okay. So remember what we talked about? Nine out of 10 people survive lightning strikes. It depends on how you're struck, Mm -hmm. right? And that's, uh, they say lightning strikes an average of 25,000 times per year at the Grand Canyon. Oh. Yeah. I'm sure there's like not a lot of cover. (laughs) <laughs> It'll be a good place for installing those giant Eiffel Tower size collectors of do lightning. It. Let's do it. Yeah. So I think it'll be perfect. Excellent. So drowning in the Colorado River, there's been about 100 people. And that can be river rafters, people trying to cross the river, 
or people just going for a quick swim to cool off. The most famous deaths, and I had heard about this before I read this, but uh, was due to drowning are Bessie and Glenn Hyde in 1928. So they were newlyweds that had gone rafting in the river and they were they were trying to establish the fastest time through the canyon which is interesting bessie would have become the first woman to raft through the canyon i love it wow, in 1928 cool. but they never made it they disappeared and their bodies were never found everybody's like well they just drowned right but in 1971 there was a river rafting guide that was telling his tour group about the story of the hides and this older woman in the group was like that's me i'm bessie and so she claimed, and I just think this, so she claimed she murdered Glenn and fled out of the canyon and created a new life. But why would she say all that? That's amazing. I kind of love that story. And I totally 100% believe her. <laughs> well, all of a sudden, she's just like, all right. Maybe he did something. Maybe they got married and he like reneged on something. And then she's like, you know what? Yeah. Or they got married and... Maybe he was like, you're not going to be the first woman to do this because you're just a woman. And she's like, I'll show you. She smacked him over the head with her paddle. I don't know. Just to add more mystery to this unsolved mystery. Yeah. A few years later, a skeleton was found in Emery Kolb's residence. And I think he owned a photography studio on the South Rim and he lived there since the early 1900s. So they found this like random skeleton, right? Mm -hmm. Just weird. Just hanging out. And a lot of people were like, that's the skeleton of Glenn Hyde. And that they were like, he's the one who killed him 50 years earlier, but doesn't really explain what would have happened to Bessie. Maybe they had a relationship. Maybe she was into photography more than she was into river rafting. <sighs> so many questions. So both of the stories, the one of the older lady claiming to be Bessie and then the skeleton, they think that neither one of them are true. Hmm. You know, they add more intrigue to it. Interesting. That's a fun story. Fun story. Other methods of dying include murder. There's been about 40 murders. Getting crushed by falling rocks. I hate that. Um, cliff jumping into shallower than expected water. That sounds... Don't ever yeah. do that, guys. Come on. Base jumping. People eating poisonous plants. Have you ever seen the video of the guy who base jumps and breaks like a ton of bones in his butt? He had like a camera on mm. and you can watch him jump off and basically like hit every protruding rock on the side of the face of the wall that he jumped off of. No. And he didn't let his he didn't engage his parachute like in enough time and he hits the ground. So he lived, but like super broken. He was just like he had to be, you know, obviously rescued. But it's a crazy video. I saw the one of a guy doing something off the edge of a building. Parkour type mm -hmm. stuff. And they hang off yeah. the side like, oh, just why one hand? And you're like, why are you doing that? There it's is cool. one guy who got crushed by a mule. There's mm -hmm. another one that saw a rattlesnake, didn't get bit, but died from surprise. He died of fright. Yes. Yes. That is one of the scariest ways to die, I think. Well, like I probably like cardiac arrest. Sure. Yeah. The boulder ones were like getting hit by the boulder. I think it's happened like once or something. Mm -hmm. And the one about the mule was the person didn't fall off. It was because the mule crushed. I think it was an accident that caused the mule to fall and then it crushed the rider. Yeah. Um. A similar thing happened with a horse. So maybe there were two incidents. The biggest category was murder of this section, including gunshots and beatings. I'm going to go into those. This is kind of like my last bit. True crime right here. Murder. Murder. In 1993, there was this guy, Richard Spangler, who we now know is a serial killer. I was going to say, it sounds super familiar. Mm -hmm. He pushed his wife off the ledge of a canyon. 
No one saw it. And he was like, oh, she fell, right? And so that was in 1993. But then they looked into his past. And years earlier, 1978, his wife and his two daughters died of an apparent murder-suicide. Right. As though the mom shot the two girls, and which herself. were teenagers, like older teenagers, and then right. shot herself, which is just insane. Horrific. Yeah. I'm just saying a mom that just would never happen. When and when does that happen? Right. That's like one of the most rare things that would ever happen. Somehow he got out of it by saying that that happened, but he actually murdered them. Investigators were always like highly suspicious, but just couldn't quite prove it. Mm-hmm. But in 1999, he had terminal cancer. And they got him to admit to everything. He was sentenced to life in prison, but he died two years later. Right. But he was married in between those and divorced that right. wife. Right. So she she survived being married to that guy. Here's another, some other unsolved murders or missing persons mm. in the Grand Canyons. Mary B-E-G-A-Y. Mm. Begay. She worked at the Bright Angel Lodge, and she was last seen on August 1st, 1957. She was 20 years old and reportedly last seen get into a vehicle with two men mm. and has never been seen since. Suspicious. Gosh. They say that there were some human remains that were located just outside the Grand Canyon on October 31st, 1958. So that's a year later. They thought they were hers. Later, the bones were determined to belong to another person, which was also from a cold case. Later, they did DNA testing to try to identify who that person was. Anyway, it doesn't, they just say that it wasn't her. They, some people were like, she just moved away and she has a life somewhere else. Her and like Bessie. Mm. It's highly suspicious. Highly suspicious. Yeah. Agreed. This is really sad. There's a 13 year old that was last seen. His name is Justin Richardson. He was last seen during the summer of 2001. He had been reportedly hiked into the woods near the Grand Canyon with friends. They got separated and he was never located, Mm. ever. He was last seen wearing a Chicago Bulls jersey. He was listed on the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. According to a local news site, 2018, officials believe he was the victim of homicide. There was evidence recovered from the cold case unit showing he returned to this Moki Lodge after he was last seen. But that's all they have. Wow. Yeah. 13? That's sad. Yeah. I know. And never seen again. The other one was Michael and Charlotte Sherman. They were found dead in 1977 around 11 a.m. That's in January 22nd. It was a heavily wooded area at Powell Point in the Grand Canyon National Park. They had been married for about four years. She was an elementary school teacher, and Michael recently graduated from dental school. He had also enlisted in the U.S. Air Force. They were staying in Flagstaff, checked out of their hotel, entered the National Park that morning. They had both been shot, and it appeared that robbery was the motive. Visibility was low that day, and it was windy and foggy. There were at least eight vehicles in the area, a tour bus and a trash truck, and no suspects have ever been identified. Wow. Yeah. Another unsolved mystery. All of these are like unsolved mysteries. Adam Clayton Lyle Jones was last seen in 2011. He's 23, and he was last seen, this is kind of a weird one, last seen by his family in Gulf Breeze, Florida. He was going west. Mm. He didn't own a cell phone. He only took his laptop and some other belongings. His vehicle was found abandoned by a ranger at the Grand Canyon Visitor Center. There was an itinerary in his car showing Denver and cities in California marked as destinations. So he's never been seen since. I hate those. I know. I'm kind of talking about it because, you know, you never know. Yeah. If somebody knows something, say something. 
Yeah. Just say, I'm going to go through these. They're just very odd. William Anthony Ott was a hiker from Oregon. He set out for a solo hike in the area of the Hualapai Indian Reservation on April 5th, 2012. He was 65 years old. He was supposed to be back on April 28th. So it was like a three-week thing. Yeah. But he hasn't been seen since he was dropped off for his trip. Oh, my God. Uh, He did not have a cell phone with him, but he did have a GPS. So that kind of makes me think he got lost or something Mm -hmm. happened. Drake Kramer, he was last seen in 2015. He's 21 years old. He was last seen at the Bright Angel Lodge on January 31st, 2015. National Park Service says he is believed to be suicidal but was never located. They say the search for him is in continuous limited mode. Maybe he was trying to complete suicide. We don't know. Right. Or maybe he got lost. Or maybe he, you know, this wouldn't be a bad if he wanted to start a new life. I could see that theory coming up. Yeah. Because it'd be easy to disappear in this place, right? In 1956, Ida May Lee, who was 25, was last known to be working at a hotel in November of that year. And her whereabouts are still unknown since 1956. Morgan Heimer was last seen in 2015. He was 22. He was a guide for Tour West, and he went missing on day six of an eight-day trip in the Grand Canyon. And that was in June of 2015. They looked for him for weeks. There was just like nothing. Crazy. That's recent, too. Floyd E. Roberts III was last seen in 2016. He was from Florida as well. Reported Mm. missing by a member of his hiking group. And he was 52 years old. It was a multi-day backpacking trip. In the Kelly Tanks, which is the western part of the Grand Canyon National Park, it was very hot. It was an excessive heat warning that was issued around the time he went missing. They were unable to locate him by ground or air. Yikes. And last one, Jongyon Wan, I think that's how you say his name, was last seen in 2017. He was 45, was reported missing after his vehicle was found at the Grand Canyon. It was in September 17th of 2017. His car was found at the... Moran Point on the south rim of the Grand Canyon and was previously seen at the New Hans Trailhead. Officials say he had no plans to be in the area and he has not been located. So, I don't Weird. know. Yeah, I mean, because what if somebody just like, I'm going to leave my car here. I'm just going to run over to this other thing. I'm just going to leave it here in this free parking lot. Free parking? They jump on a bus? I mean, it could happen. Yeah. I hope that's the case. Yeah. I hope they just went and had a new life and... Mm-hmm. So that's it. I have an organization to support. Let's hear it. It's kind of an obvious one. It's the Grand Canyon Conservancy at grandcanyon.org. It's the official nonprofit partner of the Grand Canyon National Park. So they focus solely on the park's priorities and work with the park superintendent and National Park Service team to, you know, create goals and objectives. You can go to their site. Like I said, grandcanyon.org. You can get some cool merch. Cool. See all the cool stuff they're doing. So, yeah. That's a good organization. Yeah. It's great. Those are some great little stories, good history. I enjoyed that. Yeah. I'm going to bring you back some Nicky Knacks from the, I hope from so. the gift store. Some uh, tchotchkes? Yes. For sure. I'm really into fridge magnets. I also love magnets. Yeah, that's happening. Because so. you can put it on a surface. You know how I like to hang stuff. Oh, yeah. So I'm going to bring you back the most coolest, like shiniest, amazing fridge magnet from the Grand Canyon. I can't even wait. <laughs> so Megan... So Jen. I know you're not going to the Grand Canyon, but what would you tell me that I should make sure I put in my emergency preparedness kit for my trip this summer? Yeah, I've thought about this for other stories as well, and I don't think we've talked about it, and I kind of gave a little hint earlier. I really think what we need to do is go back to printing out your map. 
not necessarily going to the convenience store and getting one of those foldy maps, Mm -hmm. you know, like maybe you don't need to do that. But before you go on a trip, instead of relying on your electronic device, which can not be always correct, go online, look at the maps, right? Print it out. Print it out. Actually, you know what? I was reading this article recently Mm -hmm. about how it is important to in the before times of electronic devices, yes. how we lived in this analog world mm-hmm. and how great it was. Yeah. MapQuest, I'm telling you, that was amazing. That's MapQuest. what I always did. Yeah. MapQuest it. You MapQuest it. The only time it can really cause you some problems if there is some sort of issue. Right. And you're in the middle of nowhere and your MapQuest just... Or there's like some sort of weird detour or change that it didn't capture. If there's like a new road. But that's what I'm saying is we have good technology now Mm -hmm. that can update that information very quickly. True. Electronically. And then you just, you know, just print it out. Yeah. Or screenshot it. I just feel like, yeah, a good old MapQuest map. There you go. That's what you should put. Going back to MapQuest. Going back to MapQuest. Got you. Yeah. I agree. I love it. I'm old school. Yeah. I'm old. I mean, does MapQuest <laughs> even still exist? I'm old and I went to the school of hard knocks. <laughs> you did it. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for listening. I hope that wasn't too long. You'll have all the links. And when I get back, I'll give you, you know. A little I'll, rundown? I'll give you a little rundown of the trip. Listen, Jen, don't die out there, okay? I promise I won't. I will be back. We have more episodes to record. Listen, yeah. we got to do this. Got to get it done. We got to get it done. But I will be able to tell you all the things. So... Excellent. You're Gonna Die Out There is produced by us, Jen and Megan, and edited by Jonathan Pillsbury. We'd love it if you could leave us a five-star iTunes review on Apple Podcasts. You can also support us by following us on Instagram or Twitter, listening and subscribing wherever you get podcasts, or becoming a patron. Check out more on our website at you'regonnadieoutthere.com, where you can see our awesome eco-friendly sponsors and Nature Nerd Artisans page. If you'd like to send us your own stories or episode ideas, you can submit them through our contact form on our website or to our email. You're going to die out there at gmail.com. And until next time, don't die out there. Bye. Bye. Sometimes, you know, you think about like when you go into the ocean and everybody's peeing everywhere. Uh-huh. You know, what is that like for the fish? They do. Or like live in. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, I don't. <laughs> but. Would never do that. Never. What? I'm just thinking about little animal figurines. It's like kitschy or like tchotchke stuff has been around for <laughs> forever. <laughs> forever. Like when your grandma has the kittens playing with the yarn. Yes. The little figurine. Yes. Yeah. Always been there. That someone's grandma 12,000 years ago. <laughs> February 26, 2019. Do you guys remember how happy and innocent we all were at that time? Oh, man. Just think back to February 2019. Mm. We're like we're planning like, planning our summer. 2020 is going to be amazing. Thinking about what we're going to do. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it's just such an innocent time. What? This is kind of an outtake. Um, my son had a project. Yeah. Uh, a couple of years ago when we first moved here, it was like he had he was, I guess, given the Pueblo people as his he had to make a diorama. Basically, oh, I love dioramas. an Adobe home. Oh, cool. And he waited till the last minute, of course. I actually didn't know about it until it was like two days before it was due. Perfect. Yeah. And uh, we very hurriedly 
put it all together. Uh huh. Yeah, out of egg cartons and stuff like that. And awesome. It was fun. Was it okay? He actually dropped it on the way in, uh, so part of it got broken. Uh huh. Yeah, that was uh, that was mostly my creation. You're like, just move out of the way and let me do this for you. Yeah. Yeah. It was one of those moments, which I'm really against. Yeah. But sometimes when you're like down to the wire, yeah. you just got to do it. You just got to do it. Kids, man. Especially when they don't tell you or the teachers don't tell you. Yeah. God, let me know. I kind of, of all the explorers, I kind of do. I mean, I feel like they might have been the most ruthless, possibly. This one's. But it's because they have the helmets and like the long mustaches. <laughs> yeah. They did with like a feather out of their helmet. Yes. Yeah. They're like more whatever. And maybe it's because of the, you know, watching Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Doesn't he go? Oh, it's French. Those guys are French. Yeah. Never mind. Because mm-hmm. I did not read the book yet. Sorry, guys. I mean, do people really expect us to read the book at this point? Because I don't know. I, I mean, we listen to you. Yeah, yeah. I listen to some books, but gosh, a book a week. I'm sorry. I, I, I would if I could. If I was still a Peace Corps, I'd be all over oh, that. Yeah. Because yeah. I, I hate flying. I hate it so much. And every time in a, if I'm if I'm awake on the plane, which I try to just be not awake on the plane and I look out the window, that's always what I imagine is going to happen next is some plane out of nowhere is going to T-bone our plane. I know. I mean, is there anybody in this world that loves turbulence? Is there somebody like, this is great? <laughs> maybe, maybe like thrill seekers are like, yeah. Yeah. You know. Or kids that would sit in the back of the bus and fly around. Yeah. They might I, think it's cool. Agreed. Me, I just get the cold sweats. I don't know. This is all starting to come together because I was definitely a front of the bus kid. Were you? Oh, yeah. I was definitely a back of the bus kid, but I, that's different. Back of the bus was scary and also it hurt your butt. For sure, an outtake that I may or may not cut later after Jonathan edits, but I was interviewed for a job. Uh-huh. And the night before, I maybe had partaken mm-hmm. in some, you know, very low level, some weed. Uh-huh. In the interview, he said, are you cool with the drug test? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And he was like, great, here's a paper, go this afternoon. And so I called up my friend who had like experience in these things. And I was uh-huh. like, what do I do? And she was like, get this thing. It's basically like Gatorade. Uh-huh. And I just drank a ton of water. Uh-huh. A lot of this. Like, You're just like Gatorade sloshing scissors. around. It was insane. I was peeing constantly. Uh-huh. And I went in, took the test. And they were like, you know, you were right on the cusp. Oh, my God. Of like, we were going to reject your sample because it was too diluted. <gasps> Like, don't drink so much water next time. And I was like, oh. you're like, I always stay very hydrated. Hydration is really important. I don't know if you know that. I don't and know. then I was. That's what, yeah, that's what people say. Yeah. Did so. But it was negative. It was neg- it came out negative, I think, because it you was super pure diluted. water. Yeah. Yeah. It was just H. They were like H2O done. There's yeah. like no color to there it. There was no sample. Yeah, it was just, <laughs> just clear. You're like, that's how you I always tell be. me. Right. That's how I am. Like <laughs> you guys are going to the Grand Canyon. Mm-hmm. I can't do this podcast alone. I just start a new life. Yeah. Well, I mean, what would I do? I have no idea. But I couldn't do this because they would need to know who I was. But if I were to ever come back and have another... Well, first of all, I wouldn't have a new life because I love my kids and my yeah, husband. Yeah. But... No, I mean all of you. Like, if, what if you're just trying to like... Oh, yes, all of us? All four of you. And we like, like went to witness protection. Douches. Yeah. And <laughs> you just became like a hairdresser or something. <laughs> That'd be kind of cool. A nail artist. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't know, because you have a really hard time. I'm a talker. You have a hard time keeping secrets. You would have to be like, listen. Somebody would be like, what happened to them? And you would get all red faced and your eyes would start watering. (laughs) And you'd be like, I don't know. I don't know where they went. We're going to polygraph you. Just fail. 